Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter, first chapter, verses 3 through 5. It reads as follows. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's word to us. Well, as you can see, we're going through a series on um, First Peter, on the identity, our identity in Christ. We are beginning this series, and uh, Pastor Phil um, kicked us off last week with verses uh, 1 and 2, and this morning I am pleased for us to look at verses 3 through 5. They are rich and full of the glory of God, the mercy that is ours in Christ Jesus, and the promises that God gives to his blessed and beloved people. When I was <clears throat> thinking about this passage and meditating upon the words in this passage, I was reminded that of how the Bible described God. If you were this morning um, asked to describe God in a sentence, what would you say? Or better yet, if you were asked this morning to describe God in a word, what would you say? Perhaps you would say holy or love. Perhaps you would say omnipotent. All of these and others indeed would be true and you would be correct. But I want to suggest to us this morning that there is a one word description of God that is frequently found in the Bible. But most of us rarely think of and that is that God is blessed. That God is blessed. Now when the Bible says that God is blessed, beloved, it means two things. Okay, the first thing that it means is that he is eternally contented. That God is eternally blissful. The Lord is full of joy. That's what that means when it says that God is blessed. It means he is full of joy. He is full of happiness. He is full of blessedness. There is an indestructible joy in God because the Lord our God is in need of nothing. There is nothing that can be added to him that would make him more happy. There is this eternal, immutable bliss with God. There's nothing that can be taken away from him that would steal his joy. Unlike you and me, God's happiness is not contained outside of him. He truly has a joy that no one gave him. And therefore, no one can take away. Our God 
is a blessed God. So you often hear people say, too, too blessed to be stressed. Well, I've never walked in those shoes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I experience stress. But beloved, God is truly too blessed to be stressed. In fact, I would dare say he's really the only one so blessed that he is never stressed. So that's what it means when the Bible says that God is blessed. It means that he is eternally contented. But it also means a second thing. When the Bible says that God is blessed, it means that God is also praiseworthy. In fact, this is the blessedness that belongs only to God. And so this is what the Bible means when the Bible says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And it says it a lot, right? This is usually what it means, Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. It means praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Give praise to him according to his name, for the Lord is worthy. And he is worthy to be praised. And this is how our text begins this morning, doesn't it? Our text this morning reminds us that the Lord is blessed. And this blessing here means that he alone is worthy of our praise, that he alone is worthy of our adoration. And we are to bless him. We are to bless the Lord. Now, so that we don't misconstrue it, beloved, there's a difference between us blessing God and God blessing us. When God blesses us, he makes us happier, stronger, better. But when we bless God, we're not making him happier. We're not making him stronger. We're not making him better. But when we bless the Lord, we are acknowledging that he is the best. We are acknowledging that he is the strongest. We are acknowledging that he is worthy of our praise, that he alone is to be adored. In, in fact, the idea here as this text begins, blessed be the Lord our God, that word and that reference in the scriptures is only used in reference to God. It's not used in reference to us. Only God is to be adored. Only God is to be magnified and glorified in that way. For all the worship and honor and praise is due to him and him alone. God is blessed because he is God. God is blessed because he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing of God, therefore, 
The blessing of God is directly related to the relationship that the Father has with the Son and the Son has with the Father. God the Father blessed the Son. And the Son in return blessed the Father by giving him worship, adoration, and praise. Now that is important, beloved. That is important. The Father blessed the Son. The Son in return has blessed the Father. That is important for us because our identity is in the Son. And therefore, we are blessed because we are in the Son. And now we call God Father. Blessed be the God and Father of all God's children. whom he has therefore blessed. And what are they to do? As the son did, bless his holy name. That's what it means to be in Christ. We are blessed. We are blessed in Christ. Now the Lord God is the Lord God our Father. And we are blessed in Christ and all the blessings that are in Christ are ours. God who is blessed, therefore, now has blessed us. This is what the Apostle Peter is getting at. The Lord our God who is blessed forever has now blessed us. So this morning, I want you to understand that you are blessed and highly favored. I know you're not comfortable with saying it. I get it. I reformed folks kind of scratch that out of the Bible. The fact of the matter is, beloved, you are blessed and highly favored of God, not because of who you are, but because you are in Christ. And that is important. That is important for Peter to establish this to the people to whom he is writing. Because they are stressed. And they needed to be reminded that you are blessed. They are in trouble. And they needed to be reminded that in God's eyes you are highly favored. But of course, you look around and probably don't think so. We often don't think we're blessed because we associate blessings with the material world. I get it. I get it. I get it. That's why, that's why we won't take any, we won't take a vote this morning. We won't ask you to raise your hands, but... Uh, dare I say that many of us played the lottery this week. 
had all kind of conversations on what you would do if you had that money. How you would bless others if the Lord blessed you. I get it. This is because we mostly associate the blessings of God with the material world. And that is true, beloved. God does not have, God is not averse to blessing his people in this material world. And I will know, we will find out if anybody in here won the lottery when we begin to see an uptick in the giving. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but until then, beloved, realize that whether you win the lottery or not, you're still blessed and highly favored. And we need to be reminded of that, beloved, that the primary blessings of God in this world are spiritual. In fact, the most important blessings in this world, the most impactful and the eternal and the uniquely Christian blessings of this life are spiritual ones. These are the ones that are emphasized by God. These are the ones that are emphasized in the Bible. These are the ones that are emphasized in our text this morning. These are the ones that have real lasting significant impact and really make a difference in our everyday lives. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be God. There it is again. Blessed be the God who is our Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in Christ. And therefore, what does it say? Who has blessed us, where? In Christ with every lottery number. No. Not with every winning lottery ticket but has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How important is that, beloved? It is so important that Peter picks up on this and he emphasizes it as well. These are the same sentiments we find here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Same verse as Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now, of course, they didn't get together and talk because they didn't have chapter and verses. So don't think anything all mystical is going on there because it's not. Peter expresses the same sentiments. And it's difficult for us. I get it. It's difficult because when you hear that and you read that, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places, you're thinking, oh, man, that's fine, but all that is pie in the sky by and by. I need something sound on the ground right now. The fact of the matter is, beloved, Peter is going to remind us here that that which is, quote-unquote, sound on the ground is not really that sound. 
And it is the real spiritual blessings of God that make the difference in your everyday life now and for all eternity. You're blessed. You're blessed this morning. And you're highly favored. And why has the Lord blessed us? Well, the Bible tells us here in our text, verse 1, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3. He has blessed us because he is merciful. He has blessed us because he is merciful. According to his great mercies, the Bible says. According to his great mercies. God is not just merciful, beloved. But the Bible says that God is great in mercy. He is full of mercy. He is overflowing with mercy. He has an abundance of mercy that he overflows into the lives of his people. Now let's understand what mercy is. Okay? Mercy is the undeserved kindness of God to those who are suffering in danger or in misery. It is God looking upon the sinfulness of humanity and instead of sending judgment, he sends Jesus. That's what mercy is. God looking upon the sinfulness of humanity and instead of sending his judgment, he sends Jesus. That's what we speak of, right? When we speak of mercy ministry, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about helping those in need. That's what mercy ministry is, helping those in need. And so we should understand, therefore, that mercy is need-based assistance. That's what it is. Mercy is need-based assistance. Now, most of us who've been to college to some degree or another, I know my kids go off to college and, and they offer need-based assistance. But what I found out very quickly, beloved, is that the assistants rarely meet the need. That's not how it is with God. Mercy is need-based. And it is need-based, and it meets the need upon which it is based, beloved. It always meets the need. And because of our sin, mercy is your greatest need. Mercy has always been the greatest need. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, what was their greatest need? They thought it was clothing. No, beloved, it was mercy. When David and Hezekiah, when they fell into sin, what was their greatest need? Mercy. When Peter denied the Lord and abandoned our Lord, what was his greatest need? Mercy. Paul said that I was an insolent man. I persecuted the church and I was worthy of God's judgment, but he was merciful to me. 
because that was my greatest need. That is your greatest need. That is my greatest need. Beloved, if we are honest this morning and we'll be truthful about our waywardness and our sinfulness, we would know that our greatest need is the mercy of God. And God is great in mercy. Mercy is great. Because salvation is great, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, that we have a great salvation. And because we have a great salvation, mercy is great because we are great sinners. You know what mercy is, beloved? Mercy is movement. It is the movement of God. You know how you know somebody is merciful? When they get up and do something. You, wanna, you, you know how you know somebody is merciful? Is they just don't pass people by. Because mercy moves. Mercy moves in the direction of the suffering. Mercy moves in the direction of the loss. Mercy moves in the direction of the pain. Mercy is movement, and God's mercy is God's movement toward us. He doesn't stay away. And mercy engages. Mercy comes near. In Matthew chapter 8, again in verse 2, the Bible says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And he said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Everybody else, beloved, was recoiling from the leper. Everybody else was yelling, unclean, unclean, stay away. But Jesus didn't draw back. He saw a sinner and need of mercy. And what did he do? He came near and he touched him. He Touched him because that's what mercy does. Mercy comes near and mercy touches. And according to his great mercy, he has touched you. He touched me. I think that's Bill and Gloria Gaither's law. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul, something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. That's what mercy does. The Lord moves toward us and he touches us with his mercy. That is the blessing of mercy that our text says is ours. 
But that is only the beginning here, beloved. That is only the beginning. Why has the Lord blessed us? Because he is merciful. How has he blessed us? Well, the blessings of the Lord are not just general, but they are specific, beloved. God doesn't just say, now you're blessed. Go and be blessed. But no, as he calls us to himself, as he elects us in the beloved, and as we are now in the son, he blesses us with these spiritual blessings. He wants us to know what they are, beloved. And he tells us how he has blessed us. Now, you got to be a Christian to get blessed like this. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to win the lottery. You don't have to be a Christian to get a new job. You ain't got to get Christian. You ain't got to be a Christian to get a new house. There's all kind of blessings that people are all excited about that you don't have to be a Christian to have. But I'm talking about those blessings that are uniquely Christian this morning. And these belong to God upon whom God has been merciful and he has called and elected us according to his great mercy. He has called you to be born again. That's yours. Everybody don't get that, beloved. You have been born again. God has given you new life. He has given you a new name. He has placed you in a new family. He has given you a new identity. This is a blessing that comes only from God. New, if I can put it this way, new is what God do. Okay? New is what God do. has caused us to be born anew. When you are born again, men and women may remember your mistakes, but heaven doesn't. When you are born again, men and women may still condemn you for your past, but heaven does not. This new life that you have, beloved, comes from heaven. And it erases all the condemnation of the past. And it comes from heaven. It's something that only God does. As John chapter 3 and verse 3 reminds us, right, that it tells us that being born again is something that comes from heaven. It is being born from above. It's not something that you work up in your, upon yourself. It is not something that you work up on the inside, but it comes from outside of you. It comes from above. It comes from God. It is the work of God in your life that produces faith. It is that work of God in your life that produces repentance. That work in your life that builds conviction. 
that work in your life that wells up praise. It's the work of the Spirit changing you from the inside out. And it's what it means to be a Christian. You often hear people saying, perhaps you've said it yourself and referred to somebody as being a born-again Christian. A born-again Christian. Actually, beloved, that's redundant. That's like saying an unmarried bachelor. Well, no, duh. The only type of Christians are born again. And to be born again is to be a Christian. It's what it means. Christians are not born. Christians are born again. It's what it means. They are elected of God to receive his spirit unto newness of life, his power unto a renewed mind, and his grace unto everlasting hope. So that, so that, verse 3 tells us that you have been, according to his great mercy, he has called you to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. Now, again, beloved, this is a blessing that this is uniquely Christian. This is yours. This is the what this is what the world is longing for, but the Lord what the world can't have. Can't have apart from Christ. Can't have apart from being born again. Can't have apart from the mercies of God. Can't have apart from the spiritual blessings that are ours in heavenly places. It is a living hope. A living hope. And the world knows this. And and so you know what the world does? The world is fond of offering hope. Hopes of all kinds. And only in Christ do we find living, lasting, true hope. We have a living and lasting hope, beloved. What is hope? Okay. Well, hope is the confidence and assurance that tomorrow will be better. That's what it is. That tomorrow will be better. And no matter what losses you may suffer today, hope says tomorrow will be better. No matter what failures you experience today, hope says tomorrow will be better. Notice what the Bible says. You have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what the resurrection says. The resurrection says tomorrow's going to be all right. That's what it says. Not only does it say that, but the resurrection guarantees that tomorrow is going to be all right. 
The resurrection guarantees that tomorrow is going to be better because the resurrection says this life is not all there is. And no matter how many losses you suffer or how many times you fail, this life is not all there is. That's why you have hope. That's why you can always have hope. That's why hope springs eternal for the Christian. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest hope the world has ever known. In fact, it is the only true hope in the world. That's why the Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32, Beloved, if there is no resurrection, you may as well eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. What difference does it make? All of it is false hope. Because without the resurrection, you are going to die and you die without a tomorrow. So what difference does it make? Eat, drink, and be merry. Because we all end in the same place. And it matters not. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, beloved, says, ah, but there is life after life. There is life after this life. No matter how dark the days, no matter how the dim the prospects in this world may seem, this world is not all there is. And because Christ is raised from the dead, there is hope. This, this is so important, beloved. You do know that when Christ died on the cross, the disciples lost hope. They're all red and scattered. Peter running and hiding. All of them, all of them, they're gone. They're gone. Because they're they seeing Christ on the cross. They're seeing Christ die. They're seeing Christ crucified. And all hope is gone. But then they saw the resurrected Jesus and hope was restored. Hope was restored not because Christ died, beloved. Hope was restored because Christ was raised from the dead. And that's why we preach Christ raised from the dead. We just don't preach Christ. We preach Christ raised from the dead. We preach a living Christ. We preach a resurrected Christ because that is where our hope is. That is our only hope, beloved. That's our hope. Christ raised from the dead, reigning on high, promising to receive us again unto himself. And no matter what is happening in our present world, our hope is in him. Our hope is not in who's in the White House. Our hope is not who's sitting on Supreme Courts. 
Our hope is not who's in the governor's mansion. Our hope is not in hashtags or social movements. Our hope is not in Me Too or Black Lives Matter or Make America Great Again. Our hope is in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's why we preach Christ. Everything else is fading. It's fading, beloved. It's fading. And that's why we don't put our hope in those things. But our hope is in an inheritance. Did you see that? That's the blessing. Our hope is in an inheritance. We're talking about the blessings of God this morning that come only to his beloved. And it says here that you have an inheritance. Jesus said in John chapter 14, right, verse 2, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Oh, King James would say, many mansions. Mansions sound better than rooms. <laughs> I think the King James might have got that one right. In my father's house, there are many mansions. And Jesus says, I go to prepare them for you. Jesus left to get your inheritance ready. And he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. He was going to get your room ready. And you have no idea. You have no idea. You think if you win the lottery, you got something. You have no idea. You have no idea, beloved. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye hath seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared, what Jesus is preparing for you. blessings of the Lord are in every way, beloved, in every way opposite to these so-called blessings of the world. This is what Peter's getting at. As these Christians here are out dispersed and enduring persecution and suffering loss, he wants to let them, he wants to let them know, don't look at this world and whether or not and wonder whether or not you're blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed because you have the true blessings of God. How often, how often, beloved, how often have, have you seen a new luxury car driving down the road and on the front license plate in bold block letters it says, blessed. Blessed. Well, beloved, let me assure you of this. Okay, that car is perishing. That car is fading. It lost 10% of its value the moment the owner drove it off the lot. And it has been depreciating every moment since. 
And that depreciation, that depreciation is getting more and more because sooner or later, I don't care how blessed you think you are, that car is going to break down. Because cars break down. Beloved, your inheritance, the blessing that God has for you, the room that Christ is preparing for you, there is no depreciation. There is no breakdown. There is no losing of its value. Why? Because Peter says it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You know, it is so marvelous. It is so marvelous, and it is so beyond description that in order to tell you what it is, Peter had to tell you what it's not. I don't have the words to really tell you all that it is, but let me just show you this. It ain't going nowhere. It's unfading. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. That's what Jesus says, right? Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because what's happening in heaven, what you have, those blessings that you have in spiritual places, moth and rust cannot destroy and no one can break in and steal. No one, no one or no thing can get what God got for you. Can't get it. Can't have it. And you know why? Because it says, what does it say? Kept for you. Kept. Kept for you. Kept for you. No risk. No risk in God giving it away. No risk in God giving it away. You ever, you ever, um, you're around Christmas time, right? You got these gifts, and you got these extra gifts. And then the people come by, and they get, bring you a gift, and you're like, oh, man, I ain't got nothing for them. So then you go and get this little gift that you had for somebody else. But since that somebody else isn't here, you hoping they don't show up, and then you give it to them. But then what happens? They show up. Beloved, what God got for you? When you get, ain't, ain't nobody getting that. That's kept. That's kept for you. No risk in God giving away. And since there's no risk in God giving away, guess what? You don't have to be in a rush to get there. Hello. Trust the Lord. Live by faith. You don't have to be in a rush to get there because it's yours. Got your name on it. That's your room. That's your mansion. Got your name in it. Got your name on the door. Ain't nobody squatting. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. When you get there, your room going to be intact. And you know why it's kept for you? It's kept for you 
because you are kept for it. God ain't just keeping the room. He ain't just keeping the inheritance. He's keeping you. This is why, this, beloved, I'm talking about the blessings of God that come only for the Christians this morning. I'm talking about the blessings of God. God's keeping it all. He's keeping the, the blessings, and then he's keeping you. He's keeping the inheritance, and then he's keeping the inheritors. He's keeping it all. He's keeping it all. Who, by God's power, verse 5 says, are being guarded, are being kept. So you have an inheritance that is imperishable and unfiled and unfading, kept for you in heaven, you who are being kept by God. Not only does God preserve the blessings for you, but he also preserves you to make sure you get the blessing. So, beloved, there are no rooms that are going to be empty. Right? That's the thing to be reminded of. There are no rooms that are going to be empty and they say, oh, he didn't make it. <laughs> we had a room for him, but she didn't make it. No, no, no. All of the rooms in our Father's house will be filled. He's keeping the rooms and he's keeping his people. Kept, 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 guarded, guarded. Who through God, by God's power, are being guarded. This is the comfort. This is the assurance of the Christian. This is the comfort and the assurance of the church throughout the ages. It always has been, beloved, that God is with us. God is with you. He keeps our lives. Our lives is in, are in his hands. That's what it says in Psalm 121, right, in verse 7. He keeps your life. You do understand that your life doesn't begin, nor does your life end apart from the will of God. Oh, this has always been the comfort of the Christians. This has always been the comfort of the church throughout the ages, through all of the persecution, the suffering, and the loss. It is that God keeps our lives. And he determines the beginnings and the ends. You who are by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God keeps your life, beloved. God keeps your life. You know, it is so important to remember that. It doesn't mean that he won't, it doesn't mean that he keeps your life from suffering. He doesn't. It doesn't mean that he keeps your life from suffering loss. He doesn't do that. It doesn't mean that he will even keep you from dying. He doesn't do that. But it means that through it all, he keeps you. He doesn't lose you. You are his. 
And no one or no thing can ultimately take you from him. Why? Because of his power. Who by God's power are being guarded? This is the power of God. The power of God, as we know, beloved, is undefeated. The Lord keeps his people. He keeps them in the power of his hands. He keeps them in his grip. The Lord keeps his people. He guards the inheritance, but he also guards the inheritors. So you can be reassured that your soul, that which really is your life, is anchored in God. It's anchored. It's anchored. And when I was when I was a boy, we would we would go fishing, and we like to go fishing at night, right? And I mean, it is pitch black out there on that lake. It is pitch black. But we knew what we were doing. We knew how to fish, and we would catch loads of fish at night. And when we got back to the shore, we would just put the boat right there on the edge. And we would drop anchor. And we'd go home. And in the next morning, when the light and the sun came up, and we go back down to the lake, beloved, that boat might have moved a little bit that way. Or that boat might have blew a little bit that way. But you know what? That boat was still there. Because it was anchored. That's how our lives are. You know, it, it, we, get blue, we get blue a little bit that way. Waves come along and beat us and we go a little bit this way. All of a sudden it seems like we about to get lost out to the sea. And all of a sudden everything just stops. You know why? Because your soul is anchored. And when the sun comes up, your soul hasn't gone anywhere. That's God's power. He keeps you. He keeps you. And he keeps you through faith. Through faith, beloved. This is, this is how God's power realized in our lives, through faith. When, when in Mark in chapter 5 and verse 36, when Jesus is there and he's, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter and Jesus taking his time doing this and they come and report to Jairus, hey, man, don't bother the Lord no more. Your daughter already gone. Don't bother him. I know he had good intentions, but don't bother him no more. Jesus hearing them, he looks at him, he says, do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. That's, that's one of my favorite things to say, beloved. Just don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Who's that? Steve Perry and Journey? Y'all know nothing about that. YouTube it. Look it up. That is the jump. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. I am reminded, I tell myself that all the time. Brother, just keep the faith. Don't stop believing. No matter what the circumstances say, don't Stop believing. No matter how far you fall into sin, 
just don't stop believing. No matter what the doctor says or the account may read, just don't stop believing. That's why we come here every Sunday. If I can just say one thing every Sunday, it would be this, beloved. Don't stop believing. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep the faith, beloved. God is with you. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. Because he is at work in you through his, by his power, through your faith to trust in him. Because there is a salvation coming. And it's getting ready. It's getting ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this, beloved, is full salvation, full salvation, the consummation of all things, the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ is coming. That's why you hold on. You hold on. And I know it's hard, and I know it's tough, but the end of the story hasn't been written. And as somebody has said, get ready, 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 get ready. It is coming. And the end is going to be even more glorious than the beginning. You think Adam and Eve had it good. What you're going to say in the end is ain't nobody got it better than us. Who got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody, beloved. And that's why you hold on. That's why you hold on. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The grace of God has appeared. The Lord Jesus has come. The grace of God has appeared to all of us, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for what? That blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope that belongs only to the Christians? The appearing of our and of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming. And you hold on. The best is yet to come. We're talking about the blessings of God this morning. It comes only to the people of God. Those who are willing to trust and believe and wait on him. Wait on the Lord. Christ, our hope is coming, bringing salvation and glory with him. We ain't seen nothing yet. Let's pray.